You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, good morning. Welcome. Good to see you this morning, and happy Groundhog Day. I hear Punxsutawney Phil said that we're going to have an early spring. And for us, we never had winter. So I don't know how we can have an early spring because we really never had winter. And today, I woke up and ironically, the one day of the year we had snow was on Groundhog Day. So, uh, but it's, uh, I hope by saying that we're going to have an early spring, he says, we're going to see the sunshine again someday. I am sun depleted. We need some sunshine. So let's hope for that. Maybe he's right in that regard. But today's another day. Something else is going on today. And I can't imagine the puppy bowl. No, the puppy bowl. What's the puppy bowl? I never heard of the puppy bowl. Uh, okay, Animal Planet. I'm sorry, I don't think I will watch that because there's something else that I will be watching. And it is, it's a national holiday today, right? Super Bowl Sunday is like a national holiday. And I'm thinking, why is it so big of a deal? I mean, it's, it is. I mean, I guess sports is like our, one of our national religions outside of politics. And uh, some people, it's faith. But I think some people, their politics trumps their faith. I'm not going that road right now because I think, you know, the Super Bowl... It becomes so popular because like, it's an ultimate showdown event. And that's what's cool about it. You know, you get the best of the best. And here it is, one final ultimate showdown of these two powerful opponents. Now, what's cool is today in our scripture, there's a bit of a Super Bowl showdown of cosmic proportions taking place in today's scripture we, on the one side of the story of the showdown, you have this, this scary, uncontrollable, uncontainable monster of a man who's wrecking havoc on the whole community, invoking fear and, 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 and concern among all who live there. And then on the other hand, you have this poor itinerant rabbi, itinerant rabbi, Jesus, who said, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but the sick who need the doctor. And so he said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And so today, I really want to begin by saying whatever it is that torments you, your mind, your environment, your, how powerless you may feel, how insane you, you, your situation is, today we're going to talk about how Jesus is the way back to sanity. No matter what insane situation you're facing, today, Jesus is the way back to sanity. And the text is in Mark chapter 5. We are going through the gospel of Mark this season, beginning in January. We're going up through Easter, through chapter by chapter. And you're welcome to follow along, as Andrea mentioned, the app notes, uh, not only of today's message, but in our Riverside app, you will find devotions that you can follow throughout the week as you read through the Gospel of Mark along with us this season. But Mark chapter 5, we're going to look at the first story in that chapter. And uh, I'd like to pray real quickly before we do. Would you bow your heads with me real quickly? And if you're watching online, uh, then I invite you to just participate with us. Bow your heads with us. Bow your heart before the Lord and say, God, uh, I pray that today that whatever 
insane things that I face in life. External or internal. That today I might bring them before you and ask you, Jesus, to help me. To heal me. To draw close to me. To help me be all that you want me to be and all that I know that I want to be too. I offer myself now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Mark chapter 5, let me tell you the story at first of beginning what happened here. So Jesus and his, and his friends, his followers that he called, they're living in Galilee, which is a, largely a rural area around the Sea of Galilee. If you've ever been to Israel, the Sea of Galilee is big. It's not, it's not like Lake Erie. It's not that big, uh, but it's no pond either. It's a good-sized lake. And they're up on the, the northeast corner of Capernaum and Galilee there, um, but then on the other side, the opposite end, the south, the northwest, down the southeast corner, is this place that Jesus, for some reason, has some business to, to attend to. Um, but the only business he attends to is the story that we are going to read in just a minute. And so what happens is he gets with his friends, they get on the ferry, they go across the lake to the southern corner of the lake. Um, and uh, and there, they, there they are. In fact, the scripture begins with that. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, it's important that we understand what this region is because it really adds to the, the meaning of the text today. To, to understand this, we need to see that this area of the Gerasenes was named after the town of Gerasa, which really is one of 10 towns in that area that was established after Alexander the Great, years earlier, conquered that area and established this region. It's called the Decapolis, meaning in Greek, the 10 cities. So here, think about your Jewish Hebrew area, and now they're talking about Greek towns, which strikes you as a little bit interesting. Why are these Greek towns doing in the middle of Palestine? And it's because they, the Greeks that settled there had their own culture, it was much different than the rural, poor Jewish communities from which Jesus came. And so this region was a whole network of towns. And, uh, uh, and though it was there in the middle of Palestine, it really reflected more of the modern Roman and Greek culture of the Greco-Roman Empire. And so... During this first century, this area was a flourishing center of business and domestic life. And, and if you go back today, archaeologists have dug up some of these, these Greek and Roman cities of the day, and they can see that it was a place where there was shopping, people were educated, they were more affluent, they were more upwardly mobile than the rural Palestinian Jews from the, the people that Jesus came from. And so the people who lived in the Decapolis, uh, let's just say they were in the nicer area of town. They were in the upper class area of town. They were proud of it. They lived there. They loved it. Everything was going well. The people that didn't live there wished that they could move into that area at some point. And so you had this region of the Decapolis. And, and, and all was going well there. But there was one significant problem to the people that were living there. Some of their neighbors were pretty crazy. We don't have that problem, do we? No, no, no. We're all sane. But before you tune out thinking that this story isn't about you or doesn't apply to you, 
I want to challenge you because we're talking about a man who was possessed by a legion of demons. But I want, I want you to say, okay, maybe I don't have a legion of demons, but I all, I, I mean, we all have those issues, right? We all battle those things in life that tend to trip us up, tend to pull us down, tend to thwart us from being who we know we want to be. They're the, the gremlins, I'll call them. They're on the other side. Jesus left from where he was to cross the lake to do business, but the only thing he did business with was this man who was possessed by a legion of demons. So that was the business Jesus was about that day. And maybe, just maybe, he wants to deal with some business with us today, with you, with me. So, so I, want to ask, I want you to ask yourself the question and be real honest what are my gremlins? What are those issues? What are those things that do that to me? And so finish the sentence. If I'm honest with myself, the thing or the things that trip me up most are... Can you finish that sentence? If I'm honest with myself, the thing in life that trips me up most is... And like I said, you may not be filled with a legion of demons, but there are spiritual forces that want to tear you down and pull you down and pull you away from being all that you want to be. Well, let's just be real. Can we be real? We have issues, right? Can you say we have issues? Can you say that with me? We have issues. Turn to the person next to you and say, you have issues. You have issues. <laughs> Doesn't that feel good? Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. It's good to tell everybody else they have issues. But, uh, but uh, now, now I need you to confess and say, I have issues too. I have issues too. We do. We do. I knew a guy that his issue was anger. I'm not going to psychoanalyze him. I'm not going to tell you where that anger came from. But he had anger issues, and it was so bad. His, his temper was so bad. It cost him his marriage. It cost him his job. It cost him a relationship with the kids. The anger, the hurt, the whatever it was that was behind it just destroyed his life. It was a gremlin that kept holding him back. And we all have those things. And it may not be that, but it might be something else. It might be something else that wrecks havoc in our lives. What, so what is it? What jealousy or envy or lust or addiction that controls your mind, that keeps tripping you up, right? We have fears or insecurities or regrets or just a self-loathing that, 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 that sap our, our thinking, our, our energy, and it's like God is saying, oh, you have so much more potential, but you're allowing these things to thwart you. And, and we all have them. So that's the point that I want to talk about today. As we look at this person who might be an extreme picture of it, let's be honest with ourselves and say, well, man, we all have gremlins. We all have issues. So the story goes on in Mark's gospel. And by the way, it's also in 
Luke and Matthew's version too, uh, their gospels. Matthew mentions there's two demonic possessed men, not just the one. But in, in Mark's version, it says, then Jesus got out of the boat and a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man living in the tombs, lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore. What does that say? They couldn't bind him anymore. I wonder, how long has this man been tormented by this? And the fact that other people were trying to control him, to bind him, what, what kind of picture does that give They couldn't do it even with a chain, for he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and he broke the irons on his feet. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and he would cut himself with stones. Amazing. A tormented man and a tormented community because this man was tormented. These people who seemingly had it all together were haunted by this monster of a man that would just roam in the tombs and in the graveyards. Uh, the, the, the people were buried in the tombs. That's where he, that's the only place that he could be free because people were afraid to go there. So he would hang out where people were afraid to go. Because he was afraid of them coming and trying to control him and hold him back. That's well, a horrible scene. It's a horrible scene. It's almost like the lure of how many of you have had. It's like a story that's told around the campfires of the ghost up on the up on the hills and the tombs that's going to wreak havoc. These people lived in fear of that. I, you know, grew up in the South Hills. We had the lure of this man who the place called Green Man's Tunnel, and in the Green Man's Tunnel was this guy that was just haunting the area. And you know, you go out there and take people out there to scare them. You know, initiation was to help them, make them walk through the tunnel by themselves in the middle of the night. And, you know, it was was funny, but it was a lure. This is seemingly more than just a lure. This is a man who who was scaring, scary, frightened, and frightening to be around. And then it says that when Jesus saw, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of Jesus and shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, don't torture me. Interesting. Why would he say that? Is it because everybody else he knew tortured him? Everybody else in his world was a threat to him and he was afraid because he saw Jesus And something inside of him realized that Jesus had the power to torture him like nobody else could torture him. Jesus had the power to control him like nobody else could control him. And rather than controlling him and rather than using his power to inflict more fear on him, Jesus says to the man, come out of this man, you impure spirit. And then Jesus asked the man, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
So you have this place that's on the one hand, it's wonderful, prosperous, desirous, and laden with these talented, educated people, but on the other hand, it's afflicted with insanity. How many of you know that money and wealth and education and power does not exempt you from gremlins, from those things that trip you up? Insanity, broadly speaking, I think it applies more than to just mental health problems alone. In fact, the word for sane, for sane, sanitas in Latin means health and wholeness in every sense, in all senses. To be living with sanity, in sanity, is really to be relationally, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually healthy. And that's God's desire for every man, woman, and child is that we would be living in this kind of wholeness. In fact, I think the whole story of Scripture is about this because we see at the beginning of Scripture in Genesis chapter 1, that was the picture that we see of God's creation. Whole, healthy, sinless, perfect, beautiful, everything, achieving all that it was uh, uh, created to be and flourishing and helping to extend this beautiful place called Eden. <clears throat> and then in Revelation, we see a recreation of a new heavens and a new earth, which is really the recreation of Eden. But in between, we see what happens because of the gremlins, because of the things that happened, what went wrong to break down health and what went wrong to, to, to destroy this perfect place and how God's plan in Scripture is to just bring restoration, to restore fallen creation back to its state of health and wholeness. We've been saying it throughout this whole year. Jesus' goal, he said, I came that you might have life, that they might have life, and have it in all of its fullness. That's, that's God's plan for all of us. And so the thought here today is Jesus wants you and me and all of us and all who hears this today. Jesus wants you to be whole and healthy in every way. In every way. Mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. But in the region of the, uh, the, the, the Decapolis, the Gerasenes, this, this kind of wholeness and health was a very tenuous condition. And, and so when I read this story, I, I get the impression of this man who, or maybe a couple men, if you read Matthew's version, are just running from place to place and they're not able to connect with people. They're, he's living on the defensive. He believes that everybody's out to get him. Everybody is the problem. He's expecting trouble wherever he goes, and, and he looks for trouble everywhere he goes. And, and, and I, there are people that are like that. Don't you agree with me that, man, they're just the victim, and everybody, they just suspect everybody's motives are wrong, and everybody's going to hurt them. And, they, and it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy because they see that, that, that they've had so much hurt, they can't believe that life could be good. They just can't accept that it could be better. So he's running away from people, seeking comfort in caves. This person who's violent, he's destructive. His behavior causes himself and everybody around him incredible pain. And no matter what attempts there have been to, to intervene, to help this person, 
The forces that work upon him are so great that nothing, nothing can, can, can subdue those forces. And so it talks about a whole legion, a whole multitude of demons that have just occupied this person. And, and thus the whole community, the whole community is affected by it. And I, I just believe that, that when the Bible speaks of demons, I think a lot of people today, well, you know, that was just mental illness or it was just superstitions. They didn't have diagnoses today to define what it was. And they didn't know what we did. And there's probably a truth to that. I'm going to give you that. But, but I do believe that there are forces that exist in this world that are, that, are, that are just out there to steal, kill, and destroy what God wants to do. That take away the sanity that God intends for all of us. And left unchecked, if we're not prepared for it, those forces will progressively destroy the sanity, the balance of health in your life. And a whole lot of people are dealing with those things. Families, individuals, workplaces, communities. And the fact of the matter is, we live in an insane world. We live in a crazy world. And these principalities and powers, I think we see the evidence of it all around us. We see it in the daily news every day. I mean, we see it in our government. We see it in the powers of the hallways of our schools. We see it in the, in the boardrooms of businesses and in the emergency rooms in our hospitals. We see it locked behind prison bars and sitting at the bars of our local taverns. We see the evidence of insanity all around us, and yet we believe it doesn't exist. We feel the pull of gremlins in our own life. We all struggle with it. And so the question really then is, is asked is how, how does one move towards sanity? If we all realize that we have it, I think let's talk about that real briefly. How do I move towards sanity is the question that we're asking this morning. And, and, and three steps, three keys that, that I want to hit on before we gather around the communion elements. And the first one is, you've heard it before, admit that I am weak. Admit that I am weak, that I'm powerless, that I'm helpless, that, that I'm incapable. I, the first step to ever getting help is realizing you need help, right? I mean, I come from a family that is, you know, so proud, we just don't want to ask for help. My, you know, my dad uh, would never call a doctor, never, he, he has, somebody else has to say, you're not healthy, we're taking you, because, uh, and literally, he, he is close to that point in life right now, even as I speak, he's in the hospital, uh, because my sister was able to say, there's something wrong here, we need to take you in, but, you know, I'm fine, so I call him up to me. My mom and dad, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Everything's going great. Meanwhile, he can't get out of his chair. He's too weak to, to eat. He's losing weight like crazy. But, you know, that was our whole life. We're fine. Anybody like that? How you doing? I'm fine. <laughs> I broke my hand when I was a kid. I think many of you might have heard this story. I broke it punching my brother in the head. <laughs> 
That's my life. <laughs> um, and uh, I was playing Little League at the time, and I was due to pitch that night. Rub it off, Bill. Get out there. You got a game to pitch. I pitched the game with a broken hand. <clears throat> I don't know if we won or not. A week later, a week later, I bumped that hand again, and it just it finally went to the hospital. Sure enough, it was a, a break, the boxer break. I can always say that. Yeah, you know. And... Uh, and so it had to get rebroke and cast. The fact of the matter, I'm just saying that how many of us, we just don't want to admit that we have pain in our life, that we deal with things that want to pull us down and hold us back. And that's, that's so we need to first and foremost admit that there is pain, there is a problem, we are hurting. And it takes more courage to admit that you are an example of somebody who's living in sanity rather than a person who is living in sanity. You're living with insanity than in sanity. And so admission is the first step toward, toward health. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And it was the Pharisees in all these stories, the righteous people, the educated, the religious, who never got help because they couldn't admit that they needed it. And so when the demon-possessed man saw Jesus, he ran and he fell at his feet in front of him and he shouted, the says, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And, 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 and in God's name, don't torture me. He recognized that Jesus was capable of dealing with his demons and the demons panicked because they knew that they had nothing on Jesus. And since everybody else they knew apparently were the enemy to hurt them, they could not comprehend that he was there to help them or help this man. And so the idea is it's only when we admit that we're powerless that we find the power of Jesus showing up, right? The Apostle Paul talked about that. He admitted that he had gremlins, that he had something in his life, that he kept praying that God, take it away, take it away, take it away. And, 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 and it didn't go away. But he did come to this conclusion that, that God told him that the Lord said to me that my grace is enough for you. Because when you're weak, my power is made perfect in you. It is only when we admit that we are weak that we find the power of God. And so Paul said, I'm so very happy to brag about my weaknesses. Then Christ's power can live in me. And it's only when we say, hey, I have a drug problem. Oh, I have an alcohol problem. Oh, I have a, uh, an anger problem. Oh, I have a jealousy problem. Oh, I have whatever it is. This is where we can then begin to find the help when we expose the issue, then it can be dealt with. So as long as you're living in denial, you'll stay in bondage to those destructive forces. So you really need to begin by saying, hey, I'm weak in this area. I'm weak in this area. And so then what you need to do is name the area, name the affliction. Jesus asked him, what's your name? And he told him, legion, for we're many. And they begged him to come out. And, uh, you know, it's it, Legion, 
It's common that one thing will just lead to other issues. And before long, a whole battalion of forces work against our deliverance. Right? Sir Walter Scott said, oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive. And, and, and you know, a hurt leads to a betrayal, which leads to a, a bigger lie, which leads to some self-medication, which leads to addiction, which leads to stealing. And you can see how one thing just compounds if we don't deal with it at first. It just grows bigger and bigger and bigger. And before long, we're just totally controlled by all of these forces in our life that's destroying us. And only by naming those gremlins can they be purged from us? And it takes courage to be vulnerable. It takes courage to be vulnerable. By the way, can I just say something on the side? There's a great teaching by Brene Brown. I don't know if you've seen it. It's a TED Talk, and she's written several great books, and she's a great speaker on the power of vulnerability. Um, and... Uh, uh, Dare to Lead is, is the one book that I would recommend or get on the TED Talk, Brene Brown. Uh, she has a little salty language. I'll tell you that up front, but it's powerful stuff. And, uh, and this is what Jesus is getting at here. This is what the scriptures talk about. It's only when we admit that we are weak, then we can have power over those things. So name the affliction and then, and then we... We admit that we're weak, we name them, and then we need to just come to Jesus. We need to have a come to Jesus experience. Draw closer to Jesus. I'm going to ask the servers in just a minute, we're going to partake of communion. And in coming to communion, this is our opportunity to come close to Jesus. If there's anything that the communion elements represent, they represent this coming close to Jesus. And if you're viewing on the live stream, I encourage you to go out and grab a crabber, grab a piece of bread, grab something to drink. And let's just, let's just have a coming to Jesus moment together at the end of our time here this morning. James says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And the man, he came close to Jesus. He fell at his feet. He wasn't healed from a distance. He didn't get better from the back row. He, he wasn't just continuing to wander around and expect Jesus to just do something that he didn't want to happen to him. It took him courage to come to Jesus and say, I need somebody more powerful than me because I don't have the power to do this. Every 12-step program starts there. And so he came to Jesus and he cried out. He, was, he came to him. And so we see the rest of the story. It's an interesting story. The demons begged Jesus to send them into this herd of pigs. He, he does so. And they rushed down the hillside or went over the cliff, depending on the version, and drowned in the water. It's interesting. Why did that happen? What do the pigs represent? We could go that direction for a minute. But I think it's just interesting that you know, the Jewish people didn't eat pork, uh, the hoofed animals, and the Greek people did. And I don't know if this was just a way to say that, hey, you know, this is God saying that this is an unclean animal or whatever. I'm not sure. But uh, that's where they went. 
Um, so the townspeople heard about it. This it goes on to say, they heard about it from the pig herders. This is what happened to our, flo- our herd of, what do they call a herd? A pl- what, what's a bunch of pigs called? A what? A herd of pigs? Okay, good. I didn't know if they were something else. I'm a city boy. Um, so, so, you know, we lost all our, 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 our pigs, and so the people came out, and they were struck with fear. Interesting. And they, they begged Jesus to leave. It astounds me that they begged Jesus to leave. So Jesus takes the ferry all the way across the lake. He has one interaction with this man. Were his plans to stay there and just evangelize the 10 cities? Uh, maybe so, but he had an encounter with this, this demoniac, this man full of these demons, and then uh, he left. These people somehow were threatened by Jesus or they recognized that he was more powerful than them because of what he was able to do. And maybe they were angry that they lost their, their, their bacon. Um, I don't know. Um, but in the insanity that they lived with to them, the insanity that they lived with was less fearful than living in the sanity that he could bring them. Do you understand that? They were more comfortable with the crazy man in the tombs haunting them than with the wholeness and healing that Jesus could bring them. And there are many people who stay in their addiction, in their problems, in their craziness because they are too afraid to live whole and healthy. And their issues are an excuse not to be whole and healthy. So when Jesus got into the boat, the man said, take me with you, take me with you. And Jesus, appearing to be unkind, said, nope, I want you to go home. Go to your people and tell them what the Lord has done for you and how much he has had mercy on you. And so the man, I'm sure, was disappointed, but he did go away and he began telling everybody in the 10 cities what Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. And so I get the idea that this guy would have been, was a better evangelist for Jesus than Jesus would have been had he stayed. Him telling people that everybody who knew how crazy he was and now he's whole, what happened to you? I don't even recognize you. Well, I just want to tell you about this man, Jesus. That's a powerful testimony. And really the message for all of us is when Jesus does something in your life, Give Jesus the credit, and people will be drawn to Jesus. What's interesting is two chapters later in in Mark's gospel, at the end of the chapter, there's a story about a deaf man. Jesus goes back to the 10 cities, to the Decapolis, and then the people bring another man to Jesus for him to heal that man, which is interesting because there they seemingly have been evangelized by this demoniac, and they welcome Jesus then. But the idea is when Jesus touches your life, let people know. And you will stay whole by telling other people. It will help you. It will help you 
by telling people, this is who I am, this is what has a grip on me, but Jesus is greater, and I am going to continue to draw close to Jesus. So in just a moment, we're going to have that opportunity. We're going to, we're going to receive the elements. We'll sing a song as we do so. I will come back and instruct us. But as we hold these elements, I want you to think. The scripture says, look, look into your own hearts when, when you eat the bread and drink the cup. So let's, can we be vulnerable together today? We say, Jesus, you know the things I struggle with. And you know that I need your help. And I'm going to take you in me. I'm going to take you in me. Because greater is you that is in me than he that's in the world. Let's partake. Let's hold the elements together until I come back. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.